Hi everyone, welcome to Training with Casey, where we explore animal training and living our best lives with animals. I'm Joseph Laughlin, producer of this podcast, and now here's your host, Casey Covert. Let's get started. Hey Joseph, how are you today? I am doing amazing. Happy New Year. Happy New uh, Year to you. How's everything treating you so far? Well, it's a wonderful adventure and I have a hard time keeping up. How about you? Not too bad. So I was listening to the podcast, our latest podcast last night at work. Oh, good. What'd you think? How did he? I was, I was interested and luckily you're talking to someone who volunteers in an animal shelter. Ooh, so here I came out and said that in California, shelters can be looked at as a business and they're in competition with legitimate breeders. How did that hit you when you heard that? I thought it was interesting because- so You didn't feel insulted on behalf of your shelter? Right. Okay. I thought it was interesting because basically the way that California works is that any animals that are that you see in pet stores come from the animal shelters. That's right. And that's a recent law. What was the date on that? Oh, it was 2017 to be in full effect by 2019. Yeah, 2019. Okay, so let's talk about that. All of a sudden, people are not allowed to buy dogs at pet stores from dog farmers. Do you, what do you think about that? Like, is there a reason that someone would get a better pet from a shelter than they would from a uh, dog farmer? Yeah. Why? What would make the dog better from a shelter versus a farmer? Actually, um, so I think it would be, uh, I don't, I don't want to say it'd be like better, but I don't know, like the wording to put behind it. So let's just work with it. So over and over again, I hear dog farmers referred to as puppy mills. Now, I have an animal science degree, and I've worked with animals at all different levels for over 40 years. Sheesh, maybe over 50 years now, but don't tell anyone. And... There is no such thing. A puppy mill is a derogative word that was created by animal rights extremists to turn people against professional dog farmers. So you're going to quickly see this is a complicated uh, issue because in some countries, like 
China, Korea, they farm dogs for food. We in America have some really questionable views about ethics. I've worked with cows and sheep and goat and horses. And in America, you can slaughter any of those animals to make animal food or in most cases, human food. But in America, we normally do not eat horses. But in Europe, horse meat can be considered a delicacy. Oh. Now, exactly. I am not open to that. I adore my horses. But you know what? I was what? about to say, you adore Sarah. Yeah. You would not want to chop no, her up and no, be no. like, yeah, I'm like, like I'm not looking forward to, oh, well, okay, well, she doesn't have a good life anymore, but we can have some good steaks. No. However, I've worked with cows and they are so amazing and pigs and chickens and lambs and goats. They are all really intelligent beings. Right. We really shouldn't be arbitrarily judgmental against others. If you're going to eat any animal, why should you judge against people in Asia because they eat dogs and your personal preference is that you don't eat dogs. And meanwhile, there's a lot of people that eat grubs and they may think we are horrible. Okay. Like the people in India, the cow for the Hindus is the most sacred animal. And they think that is disgusting that we eat cows. So, which is it? Is it ethical to eat meat or not? And before you say it's not ethical to eat meats, we should just eat plants, you have to be aware of the research that demonstrates quite convincingly that plants are also thinking, intelligent, communicative beings. When you pluck the leaf off a plant, it screams and they communicate to their root through their roots. And when you chop down a tree in the forest, the screams go through all the trees that are connected. You can create mass hysteria in the forest by traumatizing the trees. Right. So who are we? to say which animal it's okay to eat. And if you're going to look at the pure ethics of it, I think what's really, really, really wrong is to waste the life of an animal. If you're going to have to kill dogs, except for, I, I think that the stuff they use to kill them, is uh would taint the meat but you could use those dogs and cats to feed other dogs and cats or zoo animals or to make fertilizer like rather than just waste the lives of those animals so what we're talking about here is a really complex issue there are no easy answers nobody is the good guy here. 
The fact is, is if you want to eat, if you want to live, you need to consume something. And not only are plants intelligent, but now physicists are making a case, which I have long already believed this, that all life is conscious. In fact, all matter, the entire universe is conscious. So there's no easy way out. Whatever we do, whatever we use, we are taking it from somebody else for our own use and benefit. Okay, so we're no you and I, do you agree that we won't judge other cultures because they eat dogs or they eat cows or they eat bugs or whatever? But correct. I personally am going to try, like, I don't eat a lot of meat. I do eat meat, but I don't eat a lot of it. And I try to always remember to bless and thank the animal, which I'm sure they'd rather not have my thanks and still have <laughs> their life. But I do have to eat something and I try to make sure. Like, thank you for feeding me. Thank you for feeding my family. <laughs> right, Exactly. Exactly. And, you know, may you be in peace and, you know, all this. May everything that you help me accomplish accrue to your credit also, that we're actually team members. And of course, I don't care what you do, we all pass, right? And I would just as soon get buried and have a tree grow on me or even feed me to a tiger, although I understand that the other keepers are not eager to do that. No, they don't I really, would not be eager to do that. Yeah, they don't really want them developing a taste <laughs> for humans. That'd be bad. Could be, could be bad. That'd be detrimental. Okay. okay, so the first thing we're looking at is we have a ridiculously biased, judgmental, irrational way of looking at this issue. So if you're going to farm any animal, then you should have a set of rules for farming animals. And really those rules should be that those animals live a good life up until the point that they are farmed. They, uh, they are taken for food. But the reality is that food farms in America and Europe and probably every place are not always very kind places for animals. The animals can be frightened, they can be overcrowded, they can be kept inside, et cetera, et cetera. I remember a researcher, I won't name his name, but uh, he, he actually worked at the same university I worked at and this person took an instant dislike to me because I worked with exotic animals. And he called me a slave master and accused me of just being egotistical and wanting to control animals for my own glory and all this. And you know what he did? No, he, what did he, he do? Did, thank you for asking. He did research on veal. 
he was doing research to see whether or not a veal crate should be one inch bigger or smaller than it currently was. Now, mind you, a veal crate at this time was designed so the baby, it's a male calf, being raised for very tender young meat. So the male calves that are not going to be bulls or producing sperm for other cows uh, didn't have any market use except for this veal. So they would raise them. I believe they raise them on milk and they're in little crates that the animal can only stand up or lay down in. He cannot turn around. So within that limit, this person was looking at whether or not they should be one inch smaller or bigger in width. Where does this foolish person get off calling me names where I'm trying to educate people to care for and um, love the animals and their habitat, the earth, taking care of the earth, taking joy in these animals, celebrating these animals. I'm not going to slaughter my zoo animals. I'm not going to keep them in the way that this man was thinking was perfectly fine. In fact, when I challenged him directly on that, how dare you, or I didn't even say how dare you, I just said, how can you justify what you're doing? And he goes, well, this is um, like, a, you know, like a cultural tradition. The cultural tradition, just because they had always done it this way, was more important than the well-being of the animal. And he had no problem at all criticizing everything I've ever done in spite of the fact that at that time, it was estimated that I had already addressed over two and a half million people wow. trying to teach them and share with them the opportunity to know and appreciate and care for all these animals and their environment. And by the way, I never even, this man didn't know me from anyone. I mean, we worked at the same university, but I don't think I spent 10 minutes in conversation with him. So it's a really controversial subject. And then you get people calling the professional farmers puppy mills. And there's a lot of criticism because these dogs are kept like suspended. So if they have any urine or feces, it's supposed to fall through. And the other dogs are not exposed to it. Now, is this the best way to rear dogs? I don't know. It I don't know either. Yeah, they raise chickens and rabbits this way for similar reasons. And what I say is if you don't like that, let's change the legislation so that farm dogs get different treatment. But 
don't take a dog farmer who's doing everything by the law and then treat them unfairly with prejudice, with cruelty, with suspicion when they're doing whatever they're supposed to do under the law. What the real problem is you don't approve of them farming dogs. So as long as they're following the law and they're farming dogs, they ought to be respected. If you don't like the law, change that. And then mm-hmm. require them to follow that different thing. But let's look at why there need to be dog farmers. And there's two specific reasons I know about. And uh, one we I talked about in the podcast, which is diversity. Genetic diversity. Because where the shelters sterilize everything the commercial dog farmers don't worry about restricting the genetics past generally past the point of having whatever kind of dog that they're trying to sell they're not trying to breed for a specific look of that dog and so on and so forth. So they're actually fostering a bigger gene pool and more diversity. And they're the only ones that are actually breeding pet caliber dogs. So if you go to a shelter, what are they going to have? They're mostly going to have big black dogs pit bull type dogs, German shepherds, the dogs that are more than most people can handle. Those are not the best pet dogs for most people. So what else is wrong with going to a shelter? Hmm. Do you think there's any reason that a dog gets turned into a shelter? The family can't handle it. Yeah, a lot of times there's some kind of behavioral issue. And the people that want to get a pet at the shelter may not be the people that are best equipped to deal with those challenges. Uh Whether it's the fact that the dog is a breed like a pit bull or a German shepherd or an Akita, or it's a big black dog, or it's a dog that has some kind of issue you know it could be epilepsy it could be a an imbalance of something it could be it turns out there's a marker gene that they found that uh predicts that a dog will be hyperactive and you don't know if that dog that you're getting is gonna fare well with your dog until you bring it in for a meet and greet that's right or your whole family Mm mm-hmm Like I told you about a dog that I believe it was in 2015, very close to me here in Virginia. And it was a pit bull. And it got rehomed with a family that had two other pit bulls and a 93-year-old grandmother. And within one day, the dog had killed the grandmother. So... The owners went in to get a new pet dog. First of all, 
most people are not ready to manage three big dogs like that. And certainly not if you have elderly people in the environment. Secondly, who okayed that dog for that placement? Did this person even know what they were doing? Had this dog been tested? Had this? Did this dog have a history? Was this criminal negligence? And who does the due diligence? Were the pet owners so, supposed to be suspicious of the uh, shelter people that said this dog will be okay in your home? You know, why did they believe them? But really, pet owners have enough challenges to take good care of a reasonably healthy, reasonably behaving dog. They should not be encouraged to go look for dogs with severe behavior problems, health issues, uh, breed tendencies that will not easily fit into their family. But this is what people are being kind of bullied into doing. Even the little moniker shop, uh, adopt, don't shop. Adopt a dog, adopt somebody else's mistake, adopt a mistake of nature. Yeah, I mean... I've had all kinds of adopted dogs from shelters, but I'm a professional trainer. And I'm going to tell you, they are not easy. A lot of times I've taken the dogs because I thought they were good dogs and they didn't deserve to die. But neither did any of my clients deserve to have this addition foisted on them. Uh -huh. Now, a lot of times we can help the people turn the dogs around and so on. But something that people have to think about is the dog you adopt is not the dog you're going to live with. And what I mean by that is dogs in shelters are generally depressed. They're tired. They're stressed. They're uncertain. They're adjusting to a lot of changes. I mean, you know, uh, what, what happened to them that they came into a shelter? Can you imagine a dog that adored his owner? And this is a heartbreaking one that I know of happening many times. An older person has a pet and either has to go into a nursing home or get sick or dies. And all of a sudden they cannot keep their pet. And it's through no fault of them and no fault of the animal. So this is a, an animal that would usually make a good pet for someone else. But a lot of times they're older and people don't want the older animal. In any case, imagine the trauma of that poor animal that overnight loses the love of its life, its home, and they're depressed. They're worried. They're upset. They don't know what happened to their owner. They don't know why they ended up here. They didn't do anything to deserve it. Uh -huh. So then somebody adopts them and maybe the animal is really quiet or the animal is well, really withdrawn or a little surly or a little protective. 
30 days later, his personality is going to change. You're likely to see an animal that's more stubborn, more willful, more excitable, more um, barky. So you can't accurately assess what an animal will be like when you go in to, you know, select a dog. Have you seen that when you were working with dogs in shelters? Do you see changes over time? Yes. And what kind of changes do you normally see? Whether the dog is frightened or excited. So does it generally start one way and go to another way or what? Like they might be frightened and then later it'll go to excited. Do you ever see dogs that are returned? Like yes. They, and do you see changes in those dogs between times at the shelter? Uh-huh. What kind of changes have you noticed? The dog is upset because he or she got returned. So you see an increase in stress, maybe? Mm -hmm. So we have a video at com slash press of Jem. And Jem is a gem. But she was a little bull terrier. And she got surrendered to the shelter. So then she got adopted. Now, when she got adopted, she was a little bull terrier. They are who they are. We often call them terrorists. Because they're little, you know, willful, busy dogs with, a, with strong personalities. And they know what they want to do. And so they're a challenge for a lot of people. But she was a good little dog. She comes back and she's a really stressed little dog. And she starts chasing her tail obsessively. And now she's going to be euthanized. And we were able to turn her around in 30 hours of training without any uh, medication or anything. But most of the shelters do not have the benefit of our training techniques. We're trying to change that using, uh, with help from this podcast. So people, when you share this podcast, and so when you help us to get the word out, we really try to help shelters and so on. Um, but they need to know that we're out there. Anyway. Okay, so we've Preach got- it, Casey. Preach it. <laughs> yeah, really, right? I mean, it's what we're passionate about, right? Whether it's marine mammals in managed care or zoo animals or dogs we want. You and I are in the business of supporting people and animals to live their best lives together. Right. And that's why we're up in the middle of the night having this conversation, right? Yes. Okay, so we talked about the um, fact that shelter dogs are dogs that may have had just bad luck or they may have dog they may be dogs with problems 
And the problems may not be their fault at all. They may have been abused by people or attacked by other dogs or something like that. But your average homeowner is not necessarily equipped to help these dogs with those problems. We need to get in there and help those dogs first and evaluating evaluate them appropriately, prepare the dogs appropriately before they get into new homes. And I wanna say just one word, uh, one thing about preparing animals appropriately. There are some people that have made huge contributions to the field of shelters, even though I don't agree with the way they did it. So uh, there's one person and she teaches people how to evaluate dogs in shelters. And the fact is, is that shelters have to kill so many dogs that one way of looking at it is do not waste time with any dogs that have any issues at all. You can't keep them all alive. You just don't have the resources or the time. So only keep the animals that have the best chance of being good pets with the least amount of intrusion. So one of the things that is in the testing program is they'll take a dog while it's eating and then they'll take a little fake hand on a stick and get it in there by the dog's mouth and bowl while it's eating. And the fact is, is that if I were a dog in a shelter and I was at my wits end and everything else, I might bite that hand. Right. And we know that if we just tell the dog what we're going to do, we can probably turn that problem around so quickly. Why do that test? Yeah. Why set a dog up to fail when he doesn't need to fail? And the reason is, is because they don't have, or they don't think there exists such fast ways to help and turn these dogs around. And so they're just not going to invest any time at all, including just explaining to the dog that you're not going to take his food away. That blows my mind. Okay. So we were talking about the fact that dog farmers could be actually seen as being good for dogs as a population. They're going to ensure that you have a larger genetic pool. They're going to actually breed pet quality dogs. And we could work on the laws rather than vilifying the farmers. Meanwhile, shelters are not the best place to get pets and people should not be coerced into obtaining dogs from shelters. They shouldn't have to pay for somebody else's uh, issues. That'd be kind of like telling somebody that when they came to the grocery store to buy meat, they could only choose from the meat that had been returned. For Here's some... meat that's been returned. Huh? Here's meat that's been returned. You're you're eating it here. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You have no idea where that meat's been or why it was returned or how it was treated. But you should not go out and buy new meat and require them to kill another cow when here's this returned meat that you could be eating. That's a grotesque 
comparison, but it's probably kind of accurate. Okay, so now the legislature in California makes a law that says you can no longer buy dogs that have been bred on purpose from any pet stores. You have to, you can buy dogs from private breeders. Are most pet owners going to even know how to contact private breeders? Mm-mm. Are they going to know how to evaluate what kind of dog they need? It's just not something people learn about. All they want is a little family companion. They don't need a dog bred for a special purpose like tracking or hunting or detection or hurting. They just want a little dog that's going to love them. And oh, by the way, talking about little dog, chihuahuas are little dogs, but they're not so easy. That's another dog that often gets returned to shelters, and it's not necessarily the best pet prospect. Okay, so now we have just put shelters in direct competition with legitimate dog breeders, whether they're commercial farmers or purebred dog breeders. You have closed off the opportunity to sell good dogs to the public and given preference to shelters who we know are providing a problem product. It's a product that's been returned or unclaimed for some reason or another. So who might be a good uh candidate for shelter dogs. Well, I have a bunch of colleagues that are working on training service dogs for veterans, you know, like uh, emotional support dogs, um, companion dogs, dogs that literally do mobility service and so on. A lot of those people are going to shelters and recruiting dogs there. They're professionals, they're gonna be more effective at helping the dog navigate through their issues. They're gonna be more able to support the new owner. That might be a good match. Although these people should also certainly be able to have direct access to dogs that are purpose bred, you know, like from purebred owners. But why in the world should the state get involved in restricting the purchase of dogs by the citizens and giving preference to shelter dogs. So now you've taken a group that started out as a, most of these groups are 501c3s, so they're not-for-profit groups, and you just put them in the business of selling dogs because now they have an outlet, a you know, preferred outlet for dogs that they don't have competition for. And they're being promoted as the only people that can sell to pet owners. It's a strange thing that's being done here. And 
Shelters don't know anything about breeding dogs. They're in the business of sterilizing dogs. So what's going to happen to the dog population? We already talked about that. It's going to decrease. Yeah. Yeah. If everybody gets dogs from dog shelters, how long is it going to be before there are no dogs? Maximum of 20 years. Do you want to imagine a world in which there are no dogs? No. Yeah, I, I think this is highly questionable. Now, we just looked up some reviews of various dog shelters. And what we heard again and again in the comments were, this place is only in it for the money. These people enjoy killing dogs. I told you about reading about the head of PETA coming in early for work and staying over lunch, not to train dogs, not to rehabilitate dogs, not to help owners, not to create outreach, not to promote dog good citizenship, none of those things. That person came to kill as many dogs as possible in the time that they had to do it. What do you think the motivation of that person is? Well, actually, we don't have to guess, do we? No. We don't have to guess. Yeah, because they've come right out and said it. Their motivation is that they would rather see all dogs dead than any of them with people in any capacity that part of the training for their staff is they require them to watch heart-rending videos of dog abuse so that they will buy into the idea that no dog should be with any people at all. As a trainer that teaches owners and trainers, I can tell you that most of the people that I see dearly love their animals. And most of them work hard to try to make the best out of things. And if I were a dog, I would not thank somebody for euthanizing me so that I didn't have to experience the adventures, trials, tribulations, and triumphs of life. Like, I don't want some extremist organization decreeing that I should be euthanized because it would be kinder to me in the long run. I don't want that to be somebody else's decision. Right. Now, you've been kind of quiet. Tell me what else is on your mind. Yeah, I don't think I'd want it to be my decision either. Or yeah. the decision somebody else's decision to decide. Yeah. And I guarantee you, if it were your decision for my life and you had me euthanize, I'd be haunting you for the rest of forever. If you heard it. Yeah, you would, <laughs> you would come back and be like, I hate you. I hate you. I hate you. Hey, did you trip today at work? How sad. Yeah, that'd be me. I'd be haunting you. That'd be Casey. 
So I better not, I better behave. All of us, right? And and that's something, I mean, now I'll get kind of uh, spiritual, personal about all this. And that is that over my years working with animals, I have become very aware of the energetic and spiritual connection that we all have, whether it's between humans when we talk or between us and animals, between us and the earth, us and the plants, fish. It goes on and on. In my own little corner of the world, the animals watch us and they know us. Even though, unlike with my trained and zoo animals, I don't, like, I don't try to get the birds in my yard to eat out of my hand. But if I go to turn the water on and there's a frog sitting right there, that frog will just sit there while I turn the water on right over his head. He is not afraid of me. The snakes will come out and let me take pictures of them. We have snakes that will take water from us. How did they know that we're safe? But they do. And that's a good thing. We like living around them and so forth. We want everybody to benefit with us on this property. We try to grow as many things as we can that will feed and shelter the animals. We build places where snakes and mice and so on can go live. And that supports the owl populations and, you know, all kinds of stuff like that. We, we actively try to do that. And we try to connect with all the animals that we work with. And um, well, this is going to sound really weird, but we try to get the help of the animals that we've worked with before to help all the other animals that are still coming along. You know, like I'll call out to my dog, King the Wonder Dog. And I know this sounds weird, Joseph, but he sends me German Shepherds. He sends me German shepherds that need help. And I always know when it's him. My point is that as we try to go through life with animals, we need to be connected together and try to make life better for all the dogs and all the people and all the cats and all the frogs and so on. That means we may need to bring our cats indoors and, you know, let them not be attacking the animals outside. We may have to train our dogs. They, we have responsibilities. But to think that a dog is better off dead than to be with us, that is just... That is wrong. That is wrong. And we know it's wrong because we know even our zoo and aquarium animals will stay at the zoo. They'll keep coming back to do their job with the people 
they want to be with us just as much as we want to be with them. Like right. all my animals I work at Liberty, they don't go anyplace. My monkey wasn't trying to run away. My dogs aren't trying to run away. My horse isn't trying to run away. I run away and they try to catch me. Right. So these people that say that dogs should not be with people are ignoring the proof that we evolved to be together. Whew. There's more on this subject. Well, made to do a part two. And three, four, five, and six. There's yes. so much. We'll you do know, more parts. You're new to this, but you've already done a lot for animals in various ways. This right. podcast being an important part of it, there's so much to share with other people. Are you ready to call it quits for tonight? Sounds good. Thank you so much for- You're welcome. Yeah, for being part of this. It's a lot more fun to be able to talk together. Thank you. Yeah, everybody, please, uh, on Pod Podomatic, in order to follow us, you have to actually register as if you wanted to host your own podcast. But then you can go up to the top and click on follow. And we have two new followers. And I want to thank you both for registering in order to follow us. And let me real quick, Joseph, can you call them up real quickly on the Potomatic thing so we can say thank you? Yeah, let me pull them up real quick. Thanks, because I'm having trouble going between the windows. Um, uh, what's their names? Okay, we have four that we had before. And they were other podcasts. I was wondering why we had only podcasters. Now I understand. Well, thank you to those two followers. Did you find them? I don't know who the two new followers are, but thank you. Okay, so what we need to do. Okay, I just found I just found the automatic window. Hold on. Okay, so we have to go to manage. And now we have to find our followers. Here it is. Here it is. So we did have four followers and now we have six. So we want, oh, whoa. Okay. So our followers, we have way more than six, but I don't know how. Okay. Here are our new followers. Lex, Jacqueline Knapp, uh, Neil Bergman Wright, Timmy Van Dyke, Zookeeper Roadmap Podcast, rah, rah, Michelle Bobrowski. That's one, two, three, four, five, six people there. Outstanding. And then we also have four people. We just got another person, Yao um, Rao, and we have 
for people that I never said thank you to because I didn't know how to find them. But there are other podcasters. We'll find you. We'll say thank you. And we have a new commenter. Well, thank you to the commenters and the followers. And that's Kim's podcast. And it says, my dog ate my first episode. That's funny. Uh. That's funny. Okay, so we're growing, folks. And we have the podcast channel at Training with Casey. And Uh, podcast Instagram at Training underscore Casey. So follow us on Instagram. Oh, that is so cool. Cool. Now you just have to help me figure out how to get on Instagram, Joseph. Yes, that'll be it's on a, a different... big job. But somebody... yeah. All right. All, All right. right. So and we're going to catch up. We have a lot of uh, podcasts to upload to YouTube, but we do have playlists there, folks. So, you know, they kind of come out in a willy nilly order. All right, Joseph. Happy New Year. Thank you. Happy New Year to you as well. And happy New Year, fans. Yes. Thank you all for sharing some of your time with us. All right. Love everybody. Bye-bye. Bye. Hey, fans. Are you enjoying Training with Casey? Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts from. Also, don't forget to subscribe to Casey Covert on YouTube. That is youtube.com forward slash C slash Casey Cover. Also, give the podcast a like, share, and comment. Thanks for joining us. Come back for more news and views on animal training and living with animals. Stay at the top of the pack with Casey. This is Joseph Laughlin, producer of Training with Casey. See you next time.